Hi, you're watching Just Chit Chat lah. And I'm Zan Azli. And as you know, this is a kind of like a talk show interview slash interview show where I speak to interesting people that I meet. And uh, recently, I met up with Anas Alam Faisli. He's kind of like a, I don't know, sociologist, but he calls himself a generalist. Generalist, yeah. Uh, uh, I know him from, you know, being involved in politics, but he's actually not a politician and he's really not really involved in politics. He's just more interested in current affairs and nation building and things like that. And he wrote a very popular book. This is it. Rich Malaysia, Poor Malaysians. Uh, it's been out a few years and it's been updated. Uh, I had his book when it was launched. I got his book when it was first launched. And when I met up with him, he actually gave me the updated version. And he signed it somewhere here. Right? Uh, so we spoke about the country, the state of Malaysia, about education, about immigration, about employment, about pollution, about environment, and even a little bit about politics. Um, we had our chat outdoors uh, and it was raining quite heavily. So the sound of the rain in the background is a little bit loud, but it's alright because you can actually hear everything we say. Uh, and our chat is pretty audible uh, and it was very interesting too. So let's cut straight to it right now. Are you actually a social scientist or are you an economist? I would rather say I'm a concerned citizen. A concerned citizen? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My career, professionally, I'm, I, was, I spent 15 years in there. So I was doing project management, project management, investment evaluation, capital, etc. So when I was in Alangan, uh, I did my master's in project management. So it was an engineering based industry. So I have, you know, after all, so I did master's in project management. Uh, and then, when I was going for the corporate ladder, I thought, oh, I need a degree in business. So I did a doctorate in business. So that's when I started to produce economy. Still going on, uh? Uh, now I'm doing construction. And construction as well. Okay, okay. Teach for the needs, that means you know uh, Shafizan Johari, AK. AK, Siti Zame, we were part of the team. Are you still active? Uh, now the younger generations are running the show. Oh, I see. You guys started it, uh? Uh, along with Zame, 
long time ago. Too long. It was started by Rami and Akita. It's getting rain. <laughs> Let's hope the rain will slowly <laughs> die off. Uh, but it's okay, right? For now, okay, la. <laughs> okay. In your book, Rich Malaysia, Poor Malaysia, right? You talk a, book, a lot about education as well. And since you started with it, teaching, teach for, for teach, teach for the needs, right? Uh, one of the one of your ideas that I find very appealing when it comes to education is that you talk about free education. Right? I am a supporter of free education daripada kindergarten right up until the Menara Gading. Yes. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, normally bila orang discuss free education, they would like to compare with Cuba, they compare with countries that offer Aha. free education. Like Germany. Now, but I think the main idea, this notion of free education, kita kena compare to Malaysia. Right. So in the book, I outline eight reasons. Lapan sebab kenapa we have to fund higher education. So, among many, it's an investment. So simple calculation lah, macam if you sponsor the education all the way to Menara Gading, like you said, dia punya tax. If, kalau dia seorang pekerja yang very normal, eh, increment tahun 5% starting pay 2000 30 tahun kerja, dia bayar cukai lagi banyak daripada government sponsor dia punya education and that's just one of the eight reasons yeah. lagi tujuh reason kena baca <laughs> that's right <laughs> no no but, but I, I think I, I think that's true lah then there's the issue of PTTPN kan uh, now PTTPN a lot of people are defaulting on their loans they, they're, not, they're not paying their loans why are they not paying their loans? you think? oh it's purely uh, because satu uh, the salary now Gaji yang kita dapat, basic salary Roughly 2,000-2,500 Masa kita, when I start work 2002 That was the basic salary right. 40 years later, tak berubah It's still the same thing? Same thing, but if you use 2,000 uh, Ringgit to survive now Compared to 15 years ago is 2,000 ringgit, maybe value dia dah tinggal 500 ringgit je So, the income and the cost of living with
every five years we buang umi. That's it. That's it. So we want to inculcate uh, active democracy. Active democracy maknanya participation of everybody itu ada. Kita ada pemutan suara, kita ada volunteerism, kita ada NGO yang become a party in your vote. Government can change, but NGOs are there to fight for whatever they believe in. It can be gender specific, it can be culture specific. So those are the things. So that's the thing about democracy here. Every time when they when people voice out concerns, people voice out opinions, they will be criticised and say, "Hey, don't do that. Tunggu lah, pak tahu mengundi, and then go and undi." So how do you overcome that that challenge? So this is mostly culture. I mean, from Malayu, from Malaysian generally, we came from a feudal feudal society. So moving to go out to be able to vote, to get the vote out. And for the past 50 years, we quit the current government as the government. So we don't know anything else. We don't know anything else. So moving out, education, slow by slow, step by step, we are going to get there. Because to be fair, kita tengok kat Middle East, after the Second World War, 50 years later, the first 50 years, not just Middle East, ASEAN juga, the first 50 years, semua diperintah oleh same party nationalist party normally nationalist party so we are changing to party system but it will take time sebab the self-censorship is very strong kita pergi dekat tempat kerja kan bila kita bercakap aktif je bos panggil kan bercakap lebih-lebih ni kenapa and to say sometimes the company is a multinational company we should be more open right we should be more open but it's self-censorship because The culture, and uh, we've only known one government. So, uh, and then ayat-ayat macam kita kena berterima kasih kepada government. Where else people forget that the government is there to manage our rights. Kita lahir kat Malaysia, contoh. We are born here, so we have we are entitled to this land. Yeah, we entitled to the oil and gas that is in this land. So the government function is to manage the wealth for the us. Money. So, <laughs> Because 50 years is actually nothing in human development. Yeah. That's another problem. And you see, when we talk about policy, people like to do policy five years in planning. You buat UPSR, kan? Buka konsep baru, KBBSM, something yang result baru kuat. So we have five years to then do all this. Mula enam A, sekarang semua satu A, dua A, semua nangis-nangis. It's a good step sebab nak buat critical thinking. But then belum apa-apa, dia dah enam, nak abolish. So what's happening? Right, right, right. They're not going to invest the time to see through lah. Macam contoh Finland. Now they are number one in education. But getting there took them 30 years. They have 30 tahun yang planning that they plan out. And we keep changing things. So much analyzing the results, and then the, we have to find the right mixture, lah. Right. Of Finland, Finland, the idea is uh, before seven years old, I'm going to 
And then dia punya homework less than 30 minutes. So parents pun relax. Buku pun sikit. But they get the most. South Korea on the other hand, it's different. 12 subject. Bawa buku besar-besar. So, student setuju bangunan dapat result tak bagus. And they still dapat number one. Yeah. So we have to find a solution for Malaysia. Yes, yes. What fits? Should we follow Finland or should we follow South Korea? Or you develop something of your own? Or we develop something in between. Yeah. Something like that. Sama macam ekonomi. Should we do follow American style or we follow European style or we follow China? We have to find the right mixture for this country because Malaysia is unique. Malaysia is the number one unique country in the world. That's another subject. We are unique in a way that nobody else can be. In what sense? We are a country of multi... Multiple. Okay? Yeah, multi-racial. Okay? We have a significant population that have roots from the India and China civilization. All the civilization world. We have the Malays. They can uh, access that Indonesia. World most populous Muslim country. And we have Islam. So we can tap to the Islam world. And we are Western educated. We speak English. So we can tap into the Western world. So Malaysians are like chameleons. We can be at home in almost every country in the world. So imagine that potential if we unlock the potential. But that same thing is giving us identity problems. Huh? <laughs> so we have a choice. Either we take it as a weakness or we mold it as a strength and use diversity as our form of uh, where we can uh, be a better country. And people always like to compare like Indonesia, Philippines. I think that our the best comparison to Malaysia would be Australia. Mm. Number one, the amount of population mm. quite similar, 25 million, 30 million, and the amount of resources. They have nickel, copper. They also have petroleum. We have petroleum, and the amount of usable land in Australia. It's big country, but they are only yeah, using uh, the coastal area. So. But the problem is, in Australia, the advantage in Australia, you can be, uh, you cannot be poor, and you cannot be ultra rich. In Malaysia, you can be super poor, and you can be nasty, nasty, super rich. So I would prefer us to be like Australia, rather than the system that we have now. Yeah. So there is not, there's not a bit wider gap. And Australia's GDP is five times larger than Malaysia. So that's that should be our norm. That should be our what you say, our our goal, no? Yeah, yeah. Where should we be heading? That's our potential. We can be as big economy as Australia. Okay. Recently, you've also been uh, writing and discussing a lot about uh, environmental issues. Sustainability when it comes to green technology, green industries, and all that. Talk more about that. Why? Yeah, why? Okay, that's that's interesting. You okay or not? This is very neat, boy. As long as the voice is captured. Yeah, okay, lah. <laughs> anyway, that is very interesting. Environment. My proposal in that article is suggesting that we can use one stone to kill two birds. So number one is to kill all these environment issues. 
So we, when we adopt all the green technology, we will uh, hopefully better solve our problems and environment issues. Second, the second word is the economic benefit that will come out of it. So while saving environment, we can make profit. How? By becoming the technology leader in the region and by uh, being the one that is leading the at the forefront of green technology. So the article talks in detail about the five key sectors that we can use. Number one is energy, how uh, the renewable energy, the energy efficiency can help us with the reward and at the same time save the environment. And then uh, transportation, uh, the 120 billion MRT. <laughs> and then uh, on uh, construction, and then uh, on water and waste management. At the moment, waste management, we are only using landfill. Landfill, you can only use 5 to 10 years. And then you cannot use that land for 20 years. Many the amount that we lost. Yeah. So I think, uh, I've recently written an article, which will be published very soon. The title is Wither Malaysia, where are we heading? A wish list for fundamental correction. So I have outlined wish list that I believe is it there. Uh, we can get out of this uh, depression. I can call it depression. I mean typical Malaysians they are now in depression. Everybody is feeling where are we heading? Uh, what's happening to this country? Uh, how do we get out of this mess? So I'm outlining several solutions that I hope can bring us out from this depression. And this depression now. <laughs> yeah, and depression now. Um, you also talk about, you also talk about, uh, most recent is, uh, like you mentioned just now, lah, the starting salary for graduates. Okay. Right? Like you said, you and I, we both started working around the same time. And the starting pay was two thousand. It's still two thousand now. Yeah, and it's still two thousand now. Some even some industries even less. Yeah. Right. And uh, and I know that a lot of these graduates, because I teach at colleges and unis, and they're telling me, look, you want more pay, you want more pay, but then they don't get jobs, and then people, the the adults, accuse them of expecting too much. But to me, I don't think they are expecting too much. They're expecting just what they should be expecting at this point of time. Right. What are your thoughts? Uh, it's funny, you see, 90% Malaysian are salary and wage earners. Yeah. So when you have people asking for higher salaries, it's not the employers that is making noise. It's the 90% people are making noise. The employees! Employees, they're lambasting the idea. They say, what are you asking for? I started with 2,000 yard 15 years ago. I started 1,000 yard 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> What's the issue? So, the thing that people don't understand is uh, that with what we blind spot and that's what I've been saying for, for many years now, six, seven years now, uh, the BNI pie, the gross national income pie, we're showing that only 25% goes to the pocket of the employees, 70% goes to the corporation profit. So we're just asking a bit from the pie, from the corporation profit to increase This big part. So, if you look at OECD companies, we are 25%, they are at least 50% on average. So, we should be moving towards that. And, and part of it is salary. 
when people say voice out, people slam them, people don't want to listen. So people become, oh, it's not my problem. So when we have an active democracy where everybody counts, where people are able to participate more, then we would have changed that apathy to become empathy. That's what we need now. Moving forward. Oh, there's so many issues to tackle, like, and all these are fundamental issues like foreign workers. And people always misunderstand when right? I talk about foreign workers, then people will come, they are the ones that have built this country. We need to take care of them. Of course, we take care of them. But I'm just saying that we are uh, over relying on our foreign workers, infecting our local workers. Simple example we have 200,000 Malaysians working in Singapore in 3D jobs. Dirty, dangerous, difficult. At the same time, we have 300,000 foreign workers working in Johor for the same 3D job. So what's wrong? So, Malaysians can work in 3D jobs. The problem is the pay, the salary. In Penang, now they say I'm political because Penang did something good for foreign workers. Penang, what they did was they come out with an advertisement, contract workers 1,300 or 1,500 ringgit for garbage collectors, local Malaysians only. 2,500 positions, 25,000 applications. So that's those are positive steps we we should follow. I cannot accept. When people say that Malaysians cannot work in the factory, where are our Minakaran and Matila? So 70% of Malaysians with SPM and below, where are they going to work? Foreign, they are foreign workers are competing directly with the jobs. <coughs> we are letting foreign workers competing directly with the most vulnerable 8.4 million Malaysians. Most vulnerable, and we are letting them fight nail to nail, tooth to tooth. And why are we letting them happen? And when we have a strong workforce, like Australia, you go there, all the workers are local, so you can have uh, skill building, you can have uh, brick layer level one, level two, level three, and the salary increase. Like in our oil and gas, all the welders, all the fitters, all the laborers are local Malaysians. Now you go Korea, all workers are local. People will argue, oh, Korea has 80 million population, we only 30 million. Uh, Australia, hey, 30 million population? Oops! So we have to start finding our will to do what's necessary to move forward. Uh, another thing that I found interesting, I mean, the last time we met, we were talking about the MRT and our public transportation system. Uh, you are saying that there is a much better and more efficient way to have a, a, a more efficient public transportation system rather than what we are building right now. No, the problem with MRT, uh, why it escaped public uh, objection or public... Uh, people are not like having a demonstration against MRT or things like that because the public desperately needs a better public transportation system. When you have an MRT, okay, fine, we we'll use it. How much does it cost? 120 million. Okay. We use it, right? 
But how can you spend 120 billion for MRT? There is only uh, two, two uh, dua kaki uh, wider than your LRT. Even LRT 3 have bigger capacity. 120 billion for MRT and just for Klang Valley alone. For Klang Valley people alone. How much is 120 billion? It's half, almost half of our national budget for a year. And we are only spending just for MRT. Where we can spread out the money. I mean, it shouldn't be 120 billion to begin with. It's like three times global standard. I mean, the, the whole system from contracting to procurement is an issue of governance and transparency. Let's say the cost is 30 billion, 40 billion. The 80 billion we can spend for BRT, the bus rail transit system. We can spend for interest rail, intra buses. We can spend for a lot more. The idea of a public transportation is to get you from point A to point B. You take MRT. You stay in, let's say, some remote station in Kutong. You have to Uber to get to a station or to get to the nearest bus feeding location. And then you take MRT, go to KL. You want to go Shahalam? Go KL chain. Then go to uh, where's the nearest to Shahalam? You have to go at Planet Jaya and then take another Uber. We are not giving good coverage because we spend too much money on just one method of transportation where we are not solving all the problems. We should have every transportation system complementing everything so that I can get out of my house without driving. Exactly. And all these issues, foreign worker, salary, right? Uh, transportation, uh, affordable housing, these are the causes that cause the inequality. These are the things that cause the inequality, the gap. Hey, you do this research all by yourself? No, there's always a... Uh, we have blind spot. And then there's always professionals in each industry that will come and support. So the idea is, you know, before it gets public, uh, we'll be sent across the industry getting more input, having more research, having more discussion, coffee, and uh, once it's uh, firm, then we shoot it up. And the book is a living document. All those ideas are up for debate. In fact, I want it to be debated. In fact, I'm uh, planning for an intervarsity debate in March. Uh, we're hoping to attract uh, 40 debating teams, intervarsity, uh, and we'll have them debate each topic in the book. So we need more ideas. So you're not saying yours is the end all be all ideas lah, that you have no. for the country, you know? <laughs> yeah, I might be said, giving lousy ideas to everybody, I don't know. <laughs> Let's debate it. Yeah. <laughs> so you just need more people to just come up. Yeah, right? yeah. I read uh, on healthcare recently. Yeah. People are like, why are you writing on healthcare? Are you losing focus? What do you know about healthcare? Right. But I realize that people are not really talking about healthcare. Everybody talk about education, why? They already have children. Yeah, so they experience it. They experience it. Nobody talks about healthcare. Or I can say minimal participation from the public discourse. Why? It's a tough subject. Yeah. You need to spend six years to become a doctor. And even then, it's not finished. You have to do a few more years to become, to specialize in something, right? So I try to do an A to Z article on healthcare. And I bring ideas from abroad, what people have been doing on healthcare. Compare it with America, compare it with India and Indonesia. And I hope that people in the industry themselves will start talking about it, discussing 
and how we can make sure that healthcare industry will thrive and prosper for the future for us for our kids. Because education and healthcare are two inalienable rights for all citizens in this country. We are born in this country. We are born and then this is our land. Yep. I want to make sure the government take care of us education while healthcare. And uh, Ibn Khaldun, he wrote from Glamenon, Mukaddimah. He said that the sovereignty of a government, of a nation, comes from the people. And his meaning the uh, intellectual capital. And this comes from inclusive education and justice for all. So a strong government comes from strong people. A strong people come from providing them with education and health. So, in other words, the government that we have is a reflection of the people. And I also wrote on welfare, how welfare will not bankrupt the government, but make the country more prosperous. So, it's, a, it's based on a study by the Columbia University, it's a 125 years timeline study. So, they notice when governments spend more on uh, social net, on health and education, the GDP will expand tremendously 10 years after that. When the government cuts spending, the GDP will slowly not grow. So there's a study on welfare too in the book. Okay. Anybody who wants to be the government should read the book. <laughs> ah, yeah. But that's the idea. I hope it will be yeah. further discussed, expound, and hopefully uh, spill over to the policy sphere for the big changes. Thank you very much. Do you have anything else to Everybody counts. Everybody counts. Let's do something. Yay, thank you very much. Okay.